0: This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by LifeWay, publisher of The Sermon on the Mount Bible Study by Jen Wilkin. In this nine-session study, Wilkin invites readers to examine and learn from Jesus' longest recorded message and challenge themselves to think differently about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. With your purchase, you'll also receive access to this study's video sessions. Get your copy today at lifeway.com slash sermon on the mount. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a message from Bobby Scott from TGC's 2018 West Coast Conference.
1: Good evening. Uh, uh, Let me first of all bring greetings to you all from Community of Faith Bible Church in Southgate and express my thanks to uh, the committee that invited me to come. I'm thankful for my wife who's here and uh, my co pastor and his wife, Sherry. Uh, But I do want to spend our time working through the Word of God in 2 Timothy, my assigned passages, chapter 3, and I invite you to turn there with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and I will read um, in my New American Standard, verses 10 Through seventeen. And when you're there, say Amen. Okay. All right, let's read. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium. And at Lystra were persecutions I endured and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men, imposters, will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Will you bow with me as I pray? Father, our song is our prayer, that you would speak to us through your word, that your spirit would, Lord, open up our understanding and stir our hearts, God, to receive the truth that's in this passage. And more than that, Father, we ask that we receive it with action, that we will be found faithful with doing these things that you have charged us to do in these words. So bless us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers of it as well. So bless us in Christ's name, I pray. Well, this is a powerful passage, but in order to really see it clearly, there is a proverbial elephant that blinds our view as Americans. And I think we need to take take caution to make sure that we deal with a a very, almost American type of bias that will keep us from really benefiting from all that Paul is saying here and fully appreciate it so that we could rightly apply it. And in a word, the proverbial elephant that's staring right at us in this text, it is fear. It is, it's fear and the power of fear and how faith in Christ and Christ alone is the prescription to it. Three years before Paul, or three years after this event happens, Paul writes this book to Timothy in 67 AD. And But in 64 AD, the great fire of Rome took place. The great fire of Rome, some historians tell us, burned for perhaps nine days. It destroyed 10 out of the 14 provinces in Rome. Many were killed and many, many more lost everything. And the rumor through Rome was that Nero himself had set the fire. It wasn't true, but the rumor stuck and it was spreading. And looking for a scapegoat, Nero blamed the Christians. They were the ones who were not honoring the pagan gods of Rome. They were the ones who were calling Jesus Lord. And so Nero officially charged Christianity and made Christianity an illegal religion. And the persecution of the church officially starts here in 64 AD and and hundreds of Christians were killed. Some were set as, lamps and burned alive to light Nero's courtyard. Others were fed to lions. Some were crucified, but the persecution had started and Paul now is a victim of that persecution. Many Christians in great fear were now abandoning the faith. Other Christians being influenced by Satan were apostatizing The faith. And here at this great cost, Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith to persevere in the face of this horrific persecution that had frightened many Christians away. Can I ask you a personal question? Have you ever been afraid? I mean, really afraid. I think of myself as a reluctant missionary on a couple of occasions I've had the privilege of going to Africa and ministering to pastors. And the last occasion I went with my co-pastor, we went to Zimbabwe and Zimbabwe has one of the worst dictators at the time had one of the worst dictators in the world, Robert Mugabe. And he he had a law that foreigners could not take in public pictures because he was afraid that negative exposés would be put out about Zimbabwe. And as we're in our hotel and uh, I'm looking out of the window and there was something going on, like a concert or something outside of our hotel room. And the pastor who we were working with, he's a master seminary grad, but he's a native Zimbabwean. And he said, hey, it's a Christian concert. I'm like, hey, can we go? And so he takes us down to this Christian concert and I don't know what they're saying, I, I, but, but, I, but I started to connect. I was connecting my African roots. And so I'm moving a little bit. I'm enjoying the music. And, and next thing I know, I'm getting tapped on the shoulder. And our friend said, pray for me, that they're arresting me. Just getting arrested for taking our picture in public. And so we began to walk back to makeshift police station, like a trailer. And I'm horrified that here it is. I'm like, Lord, see, I didn't want to come to Zimbabwe. (laughs) (laughs) You made me come, and now we're getting arrested in Zimbabwe. One One of the worst dictators in the world. And so he's in there, and we're praying like crazy. And then after a while he came out. And he came out and he began to tell us what transpired. The guy asked him, what are you all doing here? And he said, we're, we're, we're doing a pastor's conference. And he said, where, and can anybody go? And how much does it cost? And he said, anybody coming is free. And he said, can I come? And he gave him his Bible back, his, well, he gave him his camera back and released him. And as we're walking back and I'm, I'm hearing Thomas tell us all these things, but I told Thomas what I was thinking while he was in the prison. And what I told Thomas was this, that, that, that I, and when they come out, I have a pocket full of money. And and I'm going to suggest, hey, is there some fine that we can pay? And I'm going to give him all these American dollars to get my friend Thomas from going to jail and us falling after him. I'm going to pay him all. Well, however much money we had, I'm going to give it all to him. And Thomas looked at me and said, why would you do that? Why wouldn't I just be willing to suffer for Christ? And in that moment, I became the incredible shrinking man. (laughs) Now, there is something about us as Americans that we really fear Persecution and suffering. We have theologies that explain away sufferings and pain will only be healthy and wealthy and fine. And, and this is an American phenomenon that we shipped all over the world because we want to deny the elephant in the room that we will all suffer for Christ if we're faithful. And in this passage, Paul is exhorting his, his son in the faith to endure faithfully. don't, Don't turn away. He's pressing him to live fear and persecution in the faith and to stand faithfully on the Word of God. And I want us to walk through these three exhortations. And the first is found for us in verses 10 through 13. And I'm just going to call this first execution Keep Following Jesus as Lord to keep following Jesus as Lord. The text tells us, now you followed. And here Paul's point is emphatic that you, Timothy, you follow closely. However you, Timothy, as for you, Timothy, you followed. And the idea of follow is stock and trade language in the first century church for a disciple. A disciple, a follower of Christ. And even though Paul uses the language to follow me as he does here, The qualifier is always understood for Paul to mean follow me as I follow Christ. And that's true here, that a disciple is one who follows after Christ. And a a disciple is someone who's been born again by by the grace of God. And and they've been in a process of being transformed from one level of glory to the next. And and it's someone who's been commissioned by the king himself to go out and to make disciples. And so here Timothy is a disciple. He's a follower of Christ, born again, being transformed into Christ's likeness, commissioned to go out and to make disciples. And he has the greatest example on earth to do that. He has Paul right in front of him. The revered Paul, the the great disciple, the the great missionary of the ancient world, the, the, the great Christian thinker, He has Paul right there, and and so what Paul does is he highlights what it is to really be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in these verses, and and I'm going to highlight it in three different ways. As Timothy is following Paul as he's following Christ, Paul highlights what that means, and he first highlights it by giving his example that following Christ is going to cost. There's a price to pay, and he says it in these verses when he says, but you followed my, my teaching, and and what a place to start. In light of the false teachers in this, this context that had apostatized and those who had in fear uh, turned away from Christ, here Paul is saying, you follow my teaching, you you follow my doctrine, that, that you listened and you learned and that the ways of God as I taught them and, 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 and right orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy, that there's a way that you need to live and Paul modeled that as well. That, that you listen to my teaching, you learn from my teaching, but also the text says that you follow my conduct, my way of living, that you follow it, you obeyed it, you submitted to it, you, you mimicked it. And that's the heart of what it means to be a Christian making disciples. You, we need to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Look back with me to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter three, what is it we're doing in terms of ministry, when, when God radically saves someone and brings them to our church, what are we trying to do with those people? That Paul, Paul says it here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is their shame and who set their mind on earthly things. That there is a broad way and there's a narrow way. And Paul says, follow my way, follow my example. And that has to be true of all Christians. We, we're telling people to follow us as we follow Christ. I remember when I was at UCLA and I'm single and I'm discipling these guys and, and I would just tell them to just a, Follow my example, follow my pattern when it comes to dating. Follow my pattern, follow my example as as I relate to my my single sisters. Follow my example, follow my pattern, because we need to hear it, but we need to see it as well. There's something about show and tell in Christianity. Is anyone following after your example? Are you telling people, follow me as I follow Christ? Mimic my marriage, mimic my parenting, mimic my work ethic, mimic what I do in my job, mimic and follow. So here, Timothy followed Paul's example, and he followed his purpose as well, too. That Paul had a plan, he had an objective, he had a vision, he had an aim, he had had a goal, and Jesus Christ gave it to him. And Paul didn't deviate from that. It's stated for us in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where the text says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain to the, the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal life. Paul said, I am laboring, I'm enduring for the sake of those who are chosen. Paul saw as his mission given to him by the Lord, that it was the greatest search and rescue mission in the history of the whole world. That there were people who were lost and God had saved Paul to go out to save others. And Paul did not deviate from their call or their mission Paul would even say in Acts 20, 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. There's a story told, a true story told of a great storm that was on the sea and the Coast Guard received a distress signal. And the chief warrant officer was rallying together the, the rest of the Coast Guard workers and they were gonna get on a ship and go out to sea and try to find the ship in distress. And it was a horrific storm. And so one of the junior officers cried out over the waves, over the wind, over the roaring sea. And he just cried out, but, but captain, we can't go out because if we go out, we may never make it back. And the captain said, oh, no, no, we have to go out, but we don't have to come back. That was Paul's thought, that he's on a search and rescue mission. There were people who were lost. Jesus had died to save sinners and Paul was willing to go. He was willing to to lay down his life because that was his purpose. That was his aim. That was his drive. It wasn't to get a bigger platform wasn't to become a celebrity apostle, wasn't to make a lot of money, get a bigger house or retire at 65. Paul's mission was the mission that the king gave him. And his mission was to seek and save the lost. And that that was his mission. And he was faithful, the text is my faith. And this is his personal faith in God. And he's telling Timothy, you saw that, you saw me trusting God, I didn't shrink back, you saw that. You saw my faith in God, you saw me trusting God. And you saw that and you saw my patience and negatively speaking, patience is the idea that you're not quick tempered. Positively, it's just that you respond and don't react. You stay calm. You you recognize God's sovereignty over circumstances and he was patient. And then he says, and you saw my love. You, You saw what motivated me. No, it wasn't money. It wasn't fame. It it wasn't any of those things. That that what motivated Paul was love. That Paul had known how great a love that he had received. God had poured out his love in Paul's own heart. And it it spilled out. It it moved Paul to fulfill this mission, to to, to pursue others. And and just read the New Testament. It's staggering how, how Paul never forgot the great love that Christ had showed him. And it wasn't like some type of a lake that Paul just dammed up and enjoyed in himself. It was like a river that kept flowing from God to Paul out to others. And Paul would say this of himself in comparison to other Christians. He says in 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, for I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And a few years later, Paul sinks even a little bit lower, not just the least of all the apostles. It says in Ephesians 3.8, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ that was given to me. And then he says, he even sinks a little bit lower. I'm not just the least of the apostles. I'm not just the least of the saints. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.15 and 16 this, This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. That I'm the chief of sinners. And that's not hyperbole. If God had a top 10 most wanted list, Paul would have been at the top of the list. Paul would walk into a conference like this and drag me out and stone me in front of everybody. There was not a greater enemy of the church than the apostle Paul, earthly speaking. And Paul recognized that, and yet he was shown mercy. He never forgot that. Jesus principalizes that, that, that when we, if we think and recognize the gravity of our sinful heart, the gravity of our sinful ways, what we really did deserve from God, and we think about what we received, then that will stir real love in our own hearts. Jesus said, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them. So which of them will love more, he says? Which of them will love more? And the idea, he who was forgiven more will love more. And Paul recognized how much he had been forgiven and he served his king in love. And then his endurance, and like sandwiched in the middle of patience and endurance is love. This idea of patience and endurance find themselves in the love chapter as well. Now, not only do we are, are patient with people, but Paul here, my endurance, that he, 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 he endured all kinds of circumstances, uh, all kinds of difficulties. He was, he was steadfast. He endured. And, and the persecutions are literally that he was, how he was treated and how he was abused and it led to his sufferings. And, and 2 Corinthians 11 outlines them. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And this happened in Antioch and Iconium and and Lystra. That's where Timothy first met Paul. Paul goes back to the very beginning in Acts chapter 14 on Paul's first missionary journey, this persecution. Read Acts 14. Timothy saw from the beginning Paul's persecutions, his sufferings, and he saw it all. And by God's grace, Timothy followed. And so here Paul reminds Timothy of just the great persecution that he had undergone. But now the under Nero and the persecution of the saints in this first century, there were a lot of people who didn't endure, a lot of people who who didn't press forward, a lot of Christians who defected in, in fear and others apostatized under the influence of Satan. But Paul tells his son, Timothy in the faith, but you can't. Timothy, you can't. You just see my life, Timothy. We've gone a long way together, Timothy. You can't stop and turn back, Timothy. I I, I, I know many in Asia have defected. I know that. I I know others have apostatized Timothy, but Timothy, you can't. He's pleading with his son in the faith and this intimate relationship they have. And Paul writes this, this letter, as it were, to Timothy in the face of grave persecution. Listen to what Paul says. And let me go back and survey the book with us. In chapter one, there is this fatherly son intimacy that Paul thanks God for Timothy and talks about tears and, and the closeness of their relationship. But Paul also says this in verse 13, retain the standard of sound words. That is a command. Verse 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure. That is a command. He tells us in in chapter two, verse one, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is a command. He tells them to entrust these to faithful men. In verse two, that is a command. He says suffer hardship, Timothy, and that is a command. It says in verse eight, remember Jesus Christ and that is a command. Verse 14, remind them, Timothy, and that is a command. Timothy, you cannot turn away. You cannot stop. There's too much on the line. There's too much at stake. Soul's are at stake, Timothy. This is not about you. You must press forward. There's a cost to being a disciple. I try to tell my kids you can't buy everything at the 99 cent store. <laughs> There's a price you have to pay. And Timothy watched Paul faithfully pay it. And now is your turn, Timothy. Now is your turn. And Not only was there a cost that Paul paid, and Paul is showing him this cost of discipleship, but that's just a cause for all of us. That's what the text says. Look with me at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what, will what? Yeah, yeah, be persecuted. That's that's. It's almost like a promise that this this is going to happen if you desire to to devote your life to God and and to do what He wants you to do and and this radical devotion to God. If you do that, then you will suffer. Jesus said it. Remember the word that I said to you: A slave is no greater than his master. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent them. If they persecuted me, John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So there's just a price to pay that all those who will live godly will be persecuted. There's just something wrong when everybody likes everything we say on Facebook and social media and Twitter, that, 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 that when we speak the truth, even in love, and we're confronting the sins of this broken, fallen world, there'll be some who their pride will rile up and, and, and they'll respond in negative ways. And the text says that to that, that, that be a disciple of Christ, you've, you've got to push through that And Paul is showing, as it were, what it means to really follow after Jesus, Lord, that there's persecution that we all have to endure. Paul endured it. We all have to endure it. And then the text says, and it's going to get worse as evil people grow more evil. The persecution, as it were, in this context, will, will get worse. Paul just says to Timothy in verse 13, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived that there are real evil people, that we, we know the stories of Jeffrey Dahmer and, and mass murderers. And, and we, we know those stories, but, but we don't always equate it in, a spiritual, in the spiritual world that we live in, that there are some who literally are inspired by the evil one and Satan himself. The Bible says in Genesis 3.15, that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. He says that to the spirit three, speaking through the serpent, that we know to be Satan, that God is going to put enmity Between you and the woman, it's going to be hatred. God gave Satan over to hatred. There's no one who hates like him. He hates without measure. He hates and he he hated. And and those whom he'll use, they will follow in his hatred. And so Cain, as a seed of Satan, kills his brother Abel. And there's been a war raging from Genesis 3.15 right on through the end of the age till Christ returns and crushes Satan's head. And so there's a war and you are hated if you're a Christian. You can't dodge that war. And Satan has emissaries. They're people that he can use. Now they disguise themselves. They put on masks and disguises in a religious context. Says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But they're emissaries of Satan. They're doing what he does. And they hate, they hate us. And so they're Christians being persecuted in this century, digging holes in the Middle East, getting in the holes and they're being executed in the holes that they stand in as we speak, that there are Christians who are being tortured as we speak. There are Christians being thrown in prisons in different places around the world and they're being tortured and killed. And, and, and they wear masks in, our, in this context. Some of them wear masks of, of being religious. And, uh, but, but we have to see through that. That one of the great exports of America is our cults. We send out the JWs to the whole world, the Mormons to the whole world, the prosperity gospel to the whole world. And as they themselves are damned, they're damning others into hell as well too. And that's evil. It's one thing, it's one thing to be in, 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 this, in this context, an imposter, a charlatan, someone who's intentionally deceiving and they're being deceived themselves by, the, by Satan himself. And so they're deceived and they're, they're deceiving others. And, 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 and it's one thing to go out and misrepresent a friend or misrepresent someone and, and say they said such and such and they didn't say that. That that's hurtful when you, when you find out people are misrepresenting you and saying, oh, you, Bobby said all these things and, or you said all these things and you didn't say that. That's hurtful. To do it intentionally is worse. But to go out and lie in God's name, in the name of religion, to go out and tell people like, give me your $100 and you'll get well and you don't have to see a doctor and they die. That, that, that's evil. There, there, there's a, it's, it's one thing to misrepresent a person, but to intentionally misrepresent God in this context. There's a, there's a morality to misrepresenting people. There's a morality to saying that someone said X, Y, and Z, and they didn't. There's a morality that's broken, that's violated, that's evil. When false teachers and, 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 and imposters go out and say, God has said such and such and such and such when he has not. We all ought to hate false teachers. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Sinners of every stripe came to Jesus. Prostitute, tax collector, whoever they may be. But when Jesus spoke of the Pharisees, there was special language that he used. Whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside. There's special language that Paul uses. He calls them dogs and Philippians. There's something nice about American Christianity that we need to recognize that we're in a war. And we have enemies and they know, they know that we don't always want to go there and recognize the evil that they are walking in. But we here, Paul is saying that in these last days in this period between Christ and his return, that uh, the impostors will get worse. The the Jeffrey Dahmer started off as he murdered, he picked up a guy and hit a guy in the head in his apartment and murdered him. And then it wasn't until 10 years later that he murdered someone else again. And then he started doing unspeakable things. And at the end, before he was caught, he was murdering someone every single day. You know what it takes for evil to flourish? For good people to do nothing at all. Just for say nothing and do nothing. And Paul here is telling Timothy that there is, it was gonna get worse. And, and, and we have a ministry that we have to, we have to, and following Christ, we need to be willing to pay a price and recognize that we have, Evil opponents, evil opponents. Um, But then verse 11, and I skipped it intentionally. It says this, look there with me. The end of verse 11 says, but out of them all, the Lord rescued me. All the persecutions, all that he had endured, the cost that he's paying faithfully and following Christ. He says, the Lord delivered me out of all of them. He rescued me out of all of them. That that one of the, the most repeated commands in the Bible is fear not. It's true enough, for I am with you. It says that in Joshua. Let me read you a verse in Joshua, and I love it. It says in Joshua 1.5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave or fail you. Or forsake you. Only be strong and courageous, and God will give him success if he follow him in all of his ways. And here in this text in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul knows that. Timothy has seen that, how how God faithfully delivered and rescued Paul. And he will be with us. He will deliver us the antidote to our fears, trust in Christ, that he's with you. The giants in the land were really big. that's true, but God was bigger. The cities were well fortified and they had great weapons, but God had just destroyed Pharaoh's army. And yet the new generation, the the generation leaving the Exodus, they didn't trust their God was with them and that God would fight for them and deliver them. And so for us, if we're gonna faithfully follow Christ in these perilous last days, if we're gonna do that, if we're gonna be faithful and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have to do it with faith, trusting our King. They, there's a mission he's called us to and we can't turn back. There's a second exhortation in these, these verses, verse, verses 14 and 15. Not only do we have to keep following Jesus as Lord, but we have to keep persevering. I'll say it this way, in the Holy Word. We have to keep persevering in God's Holy Word. It says in verse 14, you, however, Continue you have however continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of that that here where, where everyone else is defecting and apostasizing but you Timothy you have to continue in the things that you have learned and Paul motivates him but two different ways he he wants to motivate him by by calling him to remember that he was a steward and and who it is who entrusted this legacy to him he says, you, however, continue on the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing for whom you have learned them. That his mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice, that they had from, the, from his childhood, they, had, they had read the Bible to him. And not only that, on Paul's missionary journey in Acts 14, Paul perhaps led Timothy to the Lord. And, and so Paul had invested in him. His, his mother had invested in him and his grandmother had invested in him. And there would have been, have been others in his church who had, had invested in him. And there was a legacy that, that Timothy now has. There's a trust, and there's a, a stewardship of this truth that has been entrusted to him. And so the question is, can you just stop? Timothy, how can you just stop? Your grandmother taught you these things and your mother taught you these things and you know of their faithful character. You know of the efficacy of the truth that they taught you, that it was real, they had transformed lives, that you you know that it was true. How can you just stop? Timothy, you can't. That you have to persevere in the word because you're a steward of it now. It's been passed along to you. Can I I just ask us, who's invested in you? Who taught you the word? Remember the Sunday school teacher, or your pastor, or your, your parents. And here, where so many are defecting and apostatizing, well, what excuse can you possibly? Well, what would I tell my wife after 25 years of being in the ministry? It just got too hard, honey. Uh, just just the, all the all the negative criticism on social media. I just couldn't take it anymore. What, what, what would I tell my mentors? What, what would I tell Dr. Grisanti and Dr. Alex Montoya and Dr. Paul Felix and Dr. Alonzo LeVerne and Dr. John McCartney? What do I tell all those who, who invested and, and, and poured the word of God into me? That it just got too hard. That the, 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 the hill was just too high. The valley was too deep. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. But when do we ever do any of these things alone? That God by his grace has made us disciples, we're saved by grace. He transforms our lives. And that work that he began in us, that he'll complete it. That we didn't begin this thing by the flesh and we don't continue it in the flesh. That God graciously enables us. And Paul is exhorting Timothy, you have to persevere. You have to endure. You you have to keep pressing forward Timothy in the word. And then the motivation that he gives him secondly is not only that because of the legacy and the stewardship that he received. In verse 15, it says, and that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus that you know faith comes by hearing and the hearing of the word of God because you heard the gospel and the power of God through through the gospel saved you, Timothy, that you know that the word of God saves, you know that the word of God convicted you that you were a sinner. You know that it convinced you that Jesus was Lord and Savior, that he really died and paid the price for sins, that he really rose and he, he really grants righteousness as a gift of his grace. You know that personally, Timothy, And so the charge here and the motivation here is for him to persevere, knowing that the word of God is the power of God to salvation. Paul would tell us in Romans 10, verses 11 through 15, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile for the same Lord is Lord of all. Abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Are your feet beautiful? (laughs) When you come to work, are those the beautiful feet carrying the sweet gospel of grace, the good news that Jesus saves? In your family, are your feet beautiful? In your neighborhood, are your feet beautiful? Are you you the one who brings, knowing that God saves, knowing that his word is true, knowing that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, do do you do that? Um, And here Paul is pressing Timothy because of the persecution. Because of fear, um, because of those who are defecting, he he's pressing his his son in the faith. But you know, you know that the word of God leads to salvation. You know that. You know who taught you. Um, so you have to persevere, Timothy. You have to persevere in the word. And then finally, the the last exhortation in our passage is this: um, Not only do we need to keep following Jesus as Lord and Keep persevering in God's holy word is sacred, is holy, is set apart, is distinct, is different. If the ground was holy when Moses was there in the presence of God, how much more his word that is sacred, is holy, that, that that this book is not like any other book. And the reason being is this last point is that we have to keep ministering. The last, the last charge that Paul gives Timothy in these verses or the last exhortation I'm gonna draw out, is this, keep ministering. And I don't know what preposition to use. So I'm gonna use all of them. Keep ministering from the word or by the word or in the word or according to the word. Just make your ministry Bible-centered from beginning to middle to the end. But stay in the word, Timothy, and here's why. Because it is God breathed. It gives three reasons. The Bible literally is breathed out from God. And that makes every scripture, every sentence, every paragraph, every chapter, every book, it makes everything in the Bible, at the end of the day, God's word. And here, Paul is not so concerned about the mechanism of how Peter explains all that. Paul describes the nature of the finished product of the original autographs, that this is God's writings. These are God's words, Timothy. And so your ministry has to be Bible-centered It has to be grounded in the word of God because the Bible is what God says about everything. And then in Psalm 19, it tells us the Old Testament is therefore the word of God, all of it. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, then much fine goes sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward because it's the word of God not just the Old Testament. As Paul is writing the New Testament, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Paul knew as, as God was through the Holy Spirit, supernaturally working through him that he wasn't inspired. But the words were, the words were breathed out from God. Old Testament and the New Testament, thats all from God. You know, saints, God is not dead. God is not silent. He is not mute. He is not deaf. He is not blind. That the God is declaring to all sinners everywhere to repent. And he's doing that through his word. So God is speaking and he speaks through his word. When we hear the Bible, we're hearing the word of God. And then Paul would say, not only do we have to make our ministry, the totality of our ministry centered around the word of God because it's God-breathed, but also because it is useful. That's what the text says. So all scripture is inspired by God and, and all scripture is profitable. That is profitable. It is divinely empowered to be useful that's it's efficacious, without limit, that God's word does, will accomplish everything that he wants it to accomplish. It will never return to him void. That God's word is useful. What God intends for it to do, it will absolutely do. And it's profitable for teaching. That the, the, the only way we can think God's thoughts after him is from the word of God, that the, the whole of our mind has to be renewed and we've got to learn how to think right. And the Bible tells us how to think right. It's profitable for reproof, that is for a correcting error, for rebuking those who are in error, for confronting false teachers. The word of God is useful for that, for correction, not only pointing out what's wrong, but setting it right, showing what is right, and for training in, in righteousness. It trains us in right ethical behavior so that we can live like our king in this broken and fallen world that we can be light and we can be salt. We can live right. We can live out the by God's grace, not with perfection, but with progress and progression, we can live out the King's ethic for us in Matthew chapter five through chapter seven. The power of the King is broken in and out through the Holy Spirit and through his word. and, And we can live in a way that progressively shows that the King is with us, that the King is with us, that he set us free, that we can do that. And then third and finally, as we look at, this last exhortation that our ministries have to be centered around the Bible. It's got to be beginning, middle, and end. And not only because it is God-breathed and because it's useful, but also because the Bible is God's intended means to equip the man of God to do the work of God. So Paul says that, 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 that it does all this instruction, that it's do, doing all this rebuking, is doing all these things so that there's a purpose to the ministry of the word of God so that the man of God and, and here in 1 Timothy 6, 11, the man of God or in the Old Testament context, the man of God, it, it really is here in a technical sense, this, this set apart special spokesperson for God that it, it makes him adequate, thoroughly adequate, thoroughly equipped, thoroughly prepared to do the work of God. The, the, the Bible does that. It makes him thoroughly equipped to do every good work, everything God calls him to do. It prepares him for that. And in turn, what does he do? According to Ephesians chapter four, the man of God equips the saints of God to do the work of ministry. And so there's a circle here. The, the man of God is equipped by the Bible. He takes the Bible and equips the saints of God. So that at the end of the day, the saints of God can do the work of God so that we can go out and do those deeds that God has saved us for. He's made us his masterpieces, saving us by grace through faith so that we can do these works that he set apart for us from the beginning of the ages, Ephesians 2.10. And so there's work that the king wants us to do in these last days. There's, there's something he wants us to do. And the word of God is the means that equips us to do that. Um, when you read through history and you read through the Bible, there are Epic's and seasons where everything just changed. Josiah finds the book and, and, and Israel changed. Hezekiah reads the book and things change. The reformers go back to the book and, and things change. That, that we're living in a time where um, there's unparalleled division almost. And we have a real enemy. And our enemies aren't across political aisles. There aren't the opposite gender. They aren't the opposite ethnicity. That we have a real enemy. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And, and we are wrestling. We're in a war from Genesis 3.15 to this present hour. We're in a war. And we will always be in a war until our king comes back. And he has emissaries that he uses. But, but, but the weapon of our warfare is spiritual. It's got to be the Bible. How do you fight in a spiritual war? You need spiritual tools. How do you win a battle that you don't fight? That we have to fight and we fight with the sword of the word of God. We have to persevere. The darker the age gets, the greater the persecution gets, the more some are in fear of, defecting and and Satan is inspiring others to apostatize, but for the believer to follow Christ, that we have to follow hard after Jesus as Lord. We have to persevere in the holy word of the Bible. We have to keep ministering according to the word and we can't fail and we can't quit and we can't turn back. We have to trust our King who fights our battles for us and all that he would desire to do. Saints of God, my brothers and sisters, he will accomplish and we will stand as Paul says at the end of verse 11 and the Lord will rescue us from all of it, but don't shrink back in fear. Press forward by trusting your King and follow faithfully after him, persevere in the Bible and minister to according to his word and he will bless us. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for this conference. It, um, there's much we need to think about because there's much that needs to be done. So grant us grace, Lord, to be faithful. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.